Good morning, EMU. Good morning, EMU. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. Good to welcome you to convocation today and um, this day that we are celebrating Women's History Month. Women's History Month is an opportunity for us to commemorate, to acknowledge the accomplishments of, of women and what um, has been and what has been accomplished. It's also an opportunity for us to imagine what we can create together. Um, what women can continue to do in our communities and our families and in our world. Um, as we celebrated International Women's Day a week or so ago, we um, heard the phrases of imagining a gender equal world where we get to celebrate women making change, where we get to elevate the visibility of women creatives, where we build workplaces where women thrive, where we applaud equality, equal, e equality for women in sports, where we support women's empowerment across bias all over the world, where we empower women's choices in health, where we embrace and we take action towards equity. This is a part of our celebration of women's history and the conversations we get to have together. Welcome. Today we'll be joined by a speaker, Sue Park Her, who um, is a wonderful leader in the Mennonite Church. Um, and as she joins us virtually today, she will share stories about her work and um, both personally and professionally as she engages the, the power of women um, throughout our communities and our church. I'll do a little bit of introduction. Sue will do some sharing with us. And then I'll come back to invite us to some discussion. So as we're listening this morning, think about the ways that um, the words that we're sharing together um, apply or impact your life. And think about questions or responses you may want to offer as we're listening. Sue Parker uh, serves as the Director of Racial Ethnic Engagement for the Mennonite Church USA. She works with the various racial ethnic entities within MCUSA and supports the program's agency in this work and helps denominational leaders to define MCUSA diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, standards, and desired outcomes. Parker co-directs Reconciliation, a peace center in Los Angeles specializing in conflict transformation and restorative justice for immig immigrant churches. A former co-lead pastor and co-church planner, her passion is to see the church living out the shalom of the gospel. Parker is trained in intercultural development inventory and as a strategies for trauma awareness and resilience or STAR practitioner. She has a graduate degree in Christian formation and intercultural studies from Wheaton College in Illinois and a bachelor's degree in sociology and Asian American studies from UCLA in California. Sue attends Pasadena Mennonite Church in Pasadena, California, and she'll be joining us virtually from that region. We'll welcome Sue here in a minute. Good morning. <laughs> Um, and as we think about um, uh, her words as they come toward us, um, I want to share a poem with you as we get started. 
This poem is from a collection of writings and uh, poems from uh, a series, an anthology called This Bridge Called My Back. It's a work that was edited by uh, Gloria Anzaldúa and Sheri Moraga, um, who um, composed this as a, a group of writings from radical women of color. And so I'll offer this poem and then I'll pass our attention over to Sue. This is called The Bridge Poem by Kate Russian. I've had enough. I'm sick of seeing and touching both sides of things. Sick of being the damn bridge for everybody. Nobody can talk to anybody without me, right? I explain my mother to my father, my father to my little sister, my little sister to my brother, to the white feminists, the white feminists to the black church folks, the black, black church folks to the ex-hippies, the ex-hippies to the black separatists, the black separatists to the artists, the artists to my friend's parents. Then I gotta explain myself to everybody. I do more translating than the doggone UN. Forget it, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of filling in your gaps. Sick of being your insurance agent, the isolation of your self-imposed limitations. Sick of being the crazy of your holiday dinners. Sick of being the odd one at your Sunday brunches. Sick of being the sole black friend to 34 individual white people. Find another connection to the rest of the world. Find someone else to make you legitimate. Find some other way to be political and hip. I will not be the bridge to your womanhood, your manhood, your humanness. I'm sick of reminding you not to close off too tight for too long. I'm sick of mediating with your worst self on behalf of your best selves. I'm sick of having to remind you to breathe before you suffocate your own fool self. Forget it. Stretch or drown, evolve or die, the bridge I must be is the bridge to my own power. I must translate my own fears, mediate my own weaknesses. I must be the bridge to nowhere but my true self, and then I will be useful. Welcome, Sue. Oof. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much for the powerful poem um, I think we need to take a deep breath after that. So let's just take a deep breath before we um, begin. Thank you, Eastern Mennonite University for this invitation to celebrate Women's History Month with you. It's a tremendous honor to be with the larger EMU community this morning. It's quite early for me. I wish I could be with you in the auditorium on your beautiful campus, nestled in the Shenandoah Valley. I have been on your campus several times, uh, pre-pandemic, of course, and vividly remember the breathtaking scenery and the deep, rich conversations with new and old friends. I do not take for granted the sacred time allotted for me to be with you, albeit virtual. I join you today from the land of the Tongva people in Los Angeles, 
I wish I could say I'm sending you warm greetings from California, but it has been very wet with devastating storms and record-breaking rainfalls. It's pouring outside as I speak to you this morning. I also want to acknowledge the land of my birthplace, South Korea, that has been divided for the past 70 years. In fact, this year commemorates the armistice that divided not a peace treaty, but a ceasefire on the country that I was born. Although I left Seoul 43 years ago as a young child, I continue to pray for peace and healing to flow on the Korean Peninsula. Today, I have been invited to share a very difficult topic, dismantling patriarchy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have also been invited to share stories of women in our churches who are doing that work. There are so many stories to share, but before I share a few, let's first center our time around the story found in Luke 13, verse 10 to 17. I believe we have a slide for this. So let's go through this for a little bit. I love the story and you might be familiar with the story as well. Let's take the first passage, verse 10 to 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman who was there had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Notice that the woman in this passage is nameless. We only know her by her condition. She has been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Now, we don't quite know what that means, being crippled by a spirit, until later in the passage in verse 16, when Jesus says that Satan has bound her. There was a spiritual component to her confirmities. There were invisible powers and principalities at play here, opposing her body and her spirit causing chronic suffering. She has been bent and contorted, not only visibly on her body, but there have been invisible forces that are causing her to bend. Do you know women with bent backs? Do you know women whose physical body changed due to a system that exploits women and their labor? Have you encountered or heard stories of women whose backs have physically bent, picking cotton in the South, picking fruit in, Southern, in Central California, or slouching close to sewing machines in a garment factory working inhumane hours? Do you know them? Bending starts early for many women. Since at an early age, many of us have learned that we need to bend to the rules of patriarchy, to be smaller, quieter, prettier, and purer. We learn from direct and indirect comments and gestures. When I was growing up, patriarchy showed up in comments like, Sue, you're such a leader. You're so gifted. 
and you serve the church so diligently, you know, you should pray about becoming a pastor's wife. I never imagined to be a pastor because no one told me that I could be. Marianne Wright Edelman, the American civil rights activist and founder of Children's Defense Fund was right when she said, you can't be what you can't see. Notice in the verse also that Jesus saw, called, spoke, put his hand on her and set her straight. The good news for this woman was to stand straight and to be set free. And that is what Jesus does. He sets her free. Now, if the story ended in that paragraph, it would be wonderful. Her song of praise and response to her liberation would have been a happy ending. But as you know, it doesn't end there. Verse 14, the response to her healing is indignant because Jesus has healed her on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Even though the synagogue leader witnessed the miracle of the good news that set this woman free, this religious man is indignant. He refuses to see her and what has taken place. His theology only allowed him to see that the law has been violated and he makes that an issue. The theology of religious authorities reduced this woman to be an issue to be resolved, to be fixed, to be put back in its rightful place in the system. As my friend, Reverend Janet Wolf often said, the scandal is the theology that collaborates with the system of domination that values some people and not others. How has our theology harmed instead of healed people of faith? Who does our theology serve? Let's continue with verse 15. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then you should not, this, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 year, long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Then he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. In response to the synagogue leader who dismissed the unnamed woman, Jesus recenters and refocus on the woman again. I love that. He calls this unnamed woman, this woman who has been called unclean because she has this tormented spirit and a physical ailment. He calls this woman a daughter of Abraham daughter of Abraham, a woman who belongs in the lineage of God's promise. Jesus says, I see you. I see you for who you are. You are my beloved and you are blessed. You are whole and you are worthy to be healed and set free on the Sabbath. 
friends, how can we proclaim and live more into the truth that we are daughters of Abraham, made in the image of God, central to the Creator's plan and covenant? In my leadership role with Mennonite Church USA, I have had the privilege to serve with many soulful women who know they are set free. Shannon Dykus is one of them. These women stand tall as daughters of Abraham, and they are excited to contribute their gifts in the church to preach this message of healing and liberation. Yet, many of these women have experienced pushback when they stood tall. They have faced resistance and obstacles from a church system that have limited them access to full, full power and place in ministry. Let's not forget that it was only a generation ago, women in many of our conferences were denied ordination to be pastors, to lead a congregation. There is a different kind of pain when you can stand straight, but you still have to bend. There is a different kind of suffering when you are healed, but the system is still broken. And in this, and this is the reason Mennonite Church USA Women in Leadership Steering Committee created this curriculum that I think was shown in the beginning called Laboring Toward Wholeness, Dismantling Patriarchy. The steering committee wanted to hold space for people who want not only to survive, but stand against patriarchy because it is not God's plan to have a social structure in which men hold power and domination over all others, including women and non-human beings. This is a definition of patriarchy from the Indigenous People Solidarity Movement of Ottawa that uh, women in leader, women uh, laboring toward wholeness uses to define patriarchy. And notice that the title of this curriculum has two parts. The goal is wholeness for all people. And that requires us to name and dismantle patriarchy. In creating this curriculum, the diverse women writers also wanted to make clear that this curriculum was intersectional. It was important because intersectionality is the lived reality of the majority of the curriculum writers. Many of you may be familiar with this concept coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, that every person embodies multiple social locations simultaneously, and it is impossible to sift them out. For example, I am Asian, American, and a woman. I am treated in a certain way in certain situations, not because I am a woman or I am Asian. I am treated a certain way because I'm holding these multiple identities at once. This is crucial in understanding how we have formed this curriculum. When laboring toward wholeness curriculum came out, Last May, it's a long process and there's a video showing the journey that helped us to create this curriculum. When this came out, a Mennonite woman pastor asked us if we could facilitate a group. Notice, of course, we were still in the midst of the pandemic. 
So we needed to figure out how we are going to adapt this, this curriculum that was designed for a two and a half day retreat. How do we do this online? And so uh, Linda Peachy, some of you may know, um, she and I created a nine week online gathering of women from across the country. And each session with these 12 women and the stories that they shared were sacred. We shared vulnerably who we were and what stories have shaped us. We named the, the ways that our backs were bent. Some of us have experienced sexual abuse and they were sexual abuse survivors. Others were pastors whose extended family refused to see them as true pastors, even though they have been in ministry for the last 15 years. Some of us were retired pastors who recently became widowed to find, and, and because she was, she was learning to find her place without her loving partner. But one story that really stood out from that meet that session and that group was that one woman told a story about a time when she was in college. She was part of a peace and justice club with other justice loving people. They had been told that a prominent peace theologian had been invited to their campus, despite being under discipline for sexual misconduct. So she, being a new college student, innocently asked, but what about the woman? But what about the woman? What the speaker was not expecting was the anger directed back at her. How dare she? How dare she bring up the needs of women when this was such a wonderful opportunity to meet this famous voice for peace? This experience jarred her and has scarred her since then. For nine weeks, these women created a supportive space to build a common vocabulary to understand how patriarchy works. We learned its roots, that are intertwined with capitalism, colonialism, and white supremacy, and how it shows up differently in different contexts. We had lively discussions of biblical texts that appear to support patriarchy, as well as those that push against it. We also explored how people throughout history have resisted patriarchy and the harms it causes, as well as steps each of us can take to dismantle these oppressive systems. We were living into the vision of the curriculum to create a space where women's wisdom and lived experiences are valued, explored, and integrated into our collective faith and theology. Sometimes I wanted to record these wisdom shared in our spirit-filled conversations. They were so rich. And that's when I realized there is so much loss when we don't hear the, the, the wisdom of women, interpretation of scripture by women, their understanding of reading scripture embodied, their understanding of our own bodies and the embodiment of faith, their ways of holding pain and, jo and, and joy simultaneously. Our churches, our communities will be enriched our understanding of scriptures more robust when we include and share our power with 
and not over women. Dr. Regina Stolzfus, one of the writers of the curriculum, reiterated this, that this curriculum is not an agenda to place women at the top of the hierarchy. It is not to disparate, disparate demean, or destroy women. There's another way for us to flourish together, to build and reimagine what is possible. I want to close with by sharing a story of Pastor Myung Park. When I was invited to speak here to share about dismantling patriarchy, I felt the strong presence to tell her story. Myung Park, she's the one um, on the top, uh, second row, uh, the second to the right, from the right. Um, I, yeah, thank you for sharing that slide. Myung Park shares the same last name as me, but she's not my mother. In fact, she is my mother-in-law. She is my, in Korean, she omoni. Now I have shared that in many ways, patriarchy is a social structure in which men hold power and domin domination over all others, including women and non-human beings. It is a fine definition, but I really want to communicate that patriarchy is a stronghold that impacts the daily lives of the most vulnerable we know and love. Myung was born in 1942 near Pyongyang, North Korea. That city might sound familiar to you. It's now the capital city of North Korea. This was before Korea was divided into North and South. So it would just be called Pyongyang, Korea. Maybe we can go to the next slide. I don't think I have the time to give you a history lesson on the Korean peninsula. But when she was seven years old, right before the Korean War broke out, one of her father's disciples came to her house and said, teacher, please come with me. It will not take long. She saw her father leave with the student, but never saw him again. Imagine being a little girl in a patriarchal and Confucius society where male head is expected to protect and provide for the family. She no longer had her father's protection. What made it worse was that there was no closure since she didn't know if her father was alive or dead, if he was being persecuted by the communist party or anyone else. When the Korean war broke out, she was only eight. They left her family without her father and they fled to the South. She learned to bend her back at an age of eight, feeling unprotected and afraid. In 1968, when Myung was 26, she married her suitor, my father-in-law. We asked her why she married him and she said, it was because he had a big family. For a young woman without any extended family in Korea, in the South, she wanted to feel that she belonged. What she didn't know was that the following year, her father-in-law would die of carbon monoxide poisoning accident outside of his house. 
Now, this is considered not only devastating news, but bad luck. And the family sought out a shaman to do a ritual to find out why this accident had happened. In the middle of this ceremony, the shaman stopped and said that this fatal accident happened because this family has brought in a Christian daughter-in-law. You can imagine the persecution she faced when she was scapegoated to hold responsibility of her father-in-law's death. Again, she didn't have family to protect her from the physical and verbal abuse she faced daily. She faced persecution and abuse while she was pregnant with my husband. There's a lot of stories in between, but I want to jump to 2003, the next page. Thank you. When she was 61, she had recently been widowed and felt that she had done her duty as a wife and mother. She felt the call to go and love her enemies. So she wanted to go to Japan. An invitation to serve in Japan came, but when but they said that in order for her to minister more freely, it would be good to be ordained. So she went to her senior pastor with this dilemma to be ordained before going overseas. To her senior pastor whom she had known for almost 40 years. And he said, no, he said that he doesn't believe in women being ordained. If he chooses to be, if she chooses to be sent by her home church and seek financial support, she could not be ordained. If she chooses to be sent by her home church, um, but he gave her an ultimatum that if you proceed and get ordained, he will make sure that no one in the church will give her a dime. Her sexist pastor told her to bend. She felt betrayed and conflicted, but, the, but she felt the call to go. So she stood up straight instead of bending to the patriarchal support system that she was part of for four decades. She left she went to Japan after being ordained in a different denomination that believed in women's ordination. After serving tirelessly for 17 years, she returned to Korea. And a year after she returned, we discovered that she had dementia. The weight of war, persecution, financial instability, were probably factors that contributed to her dementia. For the past two years, my husband has been going back and forth to find a suitable place where they can accommodate her specific needs. She did not have any financial safety net, sometimes offered to missionaries because of circumstances in which she left. I wish I had a happier ending to share with you about my mother-in-law, but I don't. Yet, she made a costly choice and is paying the price. I share her story not to discourage you, but to ask you to remember women like Pastor Myung Kim Park, who paid a hard price living under 
and resisting patriarchal powers. Her body and mind have been affected. I hope you will remember countless unnamed women around the world who want to live into the good news of a liberating God revealed in Jesus, but they face real daily obstacles. Let's continue to share stories of women who are struggling and find ways to be in solidarity with them. There are so many around us. And may we build such a momentum that's more than individuals, but a movement, movement of healers, truth tellers, young people and old of all genders who will say they will take care of each other on the ground while naming, proclaiming, and building new ways towards wholeness. May we do so with each other because it's only together that we can do this. Thank you. Let's honor what we've heard with a deep breath. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for the leadership and the advocacy um, within our church, for the vision of this curriculum, the courage that it speaks to how we move forward. Thank you for the opportunities to think about how we show up in the world in our bodies. And thank you for the story of Pastor Young Park and how we can be attentive to women who are bending and standing straight. This is a space where we get to um, offer responses and uh, questions um, to what we've heard. There are microphones that will show up in the aisles here. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, John. Um, As you have things you want to offer to the group, as as we have some discussion for the next um, five or six minutes, um, raise your hand. They can bring the microphone to you. Um, I'll start with a question to get you all warmed up. Sue, can you talk a little bit, so in the the title of the curriculum, uh, Laboring Toward Wholeness, um, those are really important and big words, laboring toward wholeness. Um, and I won't, we don't have time to talk about all of them. I'm, I'm curious about wholeness and what you all imagined um, and, and what you would be developing or encouraging with the curriculum. Can you talk about what wholeness might mean? Sure, yeah, it is a beautiful title. It's a very meaningful title. Um, when I think of wholeness, I think of shalom right? It is not um, fragmented or compartmentalized in many ways that um, many women have to live. You know, I remember growing up very code switching at all times, um, showing part of myself in certain situations, learning to adapt so that I know that I can fit into this place or that place, but not bringing my full self because I was afraid. I didn't even know how. And in fact, a lot of the times churches were the places that were the most difficult to bring my full self. I felt like I needed to know my right answers, right? And know the right answers and to say it 
rather than really bringing my full self. And so I think in this curriculum, when we're talking about wholeness, we're talking about the fullness, the abundance of life that is offered to all of us. And that includes women. It is not to say that it is only for women, but it is this whole, all of us, the wholeness that God desires for all of us and to work, to labor in that. We also wanted to, yeah, that word labor was also something that we had kind of, you know, uh, discussed, right? Uh, we There is an image of labor, woman giving birth to something new, and that's a beautiful thing. But we also wanted to know uh, that double word of laboring, um, giving birth, as well as uh, to work together, but that not all women labor in that way. Thank you. I appreciate you fleshing out that wholeness and I'm giving people a chance to raise their hand while we're here in the room. Um, one of the things that um, came to my mind is you named wholeness. Um, I get to lead a class this semester. Um, some students and I are talking about being awkward black girls and to give ourselves permission to be awkward and, and weird and introverted and the ways that we show up um, with our whole selves. And so thinking about what it means for permission to be bold and awkward and, and the parts of us that aren't always celebrated. And so thank you for, for that um, fleshing out of wholeness. Okay, question, thank you. Yeah, so my question is with patriarchy, which is something that is systemic. You haven't really given us a whole lot of examples on how dismantling it actually happens. You've given us holding space, which is great on one hand, but I'm looking for something a little bit more tangible. <laughs> yeah, dismantling patriarchy. Um, I think what we try to do uh, is work inward as well as outward. And so in my new role, my it, it is to look at and examine how our systems, our policies, and our procedures are set in a way that welcomes all of us, that it's more inclusive. Um, are there, we, we have audits, we have ways that we name, um, that we name uh, what, what is needed by the women. One of the things that we're doing right now to dismantle, I think uh, one of the ways is, um, we've been collaborating as women in leadership with a um, conference minister, a woman conference minister, who is doing a survey of um, women's experiences in ministry. And um, we're collaborating with them to have an extensive um, information about, about that. And so that they can, that we can really talk about what needs to happen. I think we know what needs to happen, but we, all, we are in that process of gathering information. Um, there has been changes um, in our de denominational um, structure in many ways to include women. Um, there has been, as you know, many of our organizations are led by women right now. There has been increase of um, conference ministers who are leading um, so I think we are in that process of not only naming it, but also moving into a place where we're giving more women opportunities to share uh, about their experiences and then open up roles where uh, women are able to contribute. 
Shanna, did you want to add to anything to that in our work? We have another question coming for you, Sue. Okay. Hi. Um, so, how would you uh, do? Do you have any? Um, oh, sorry. So, did you have any uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, a response to someone who uh, to to anyone that that maybe doesn't uh, that's kind of struggling to like kind of see the patriarchy at all, or any or any advice, and maybe how to explain that that someone who's struggling with it. Yeah, I, I mean, this this curriculum that we have created is a way for people to gather and to talk about that, right? Because, um, and, and it's this this curriculum was not created to convince people um, about, you know, convince people that patriarchy exists. But if you need that, that there would probably be different resources. The best way I think I know how to talk to people who don't believe that there's patriarchy is to share your story and to share stories of others um, who have been harmed. And also just, just looking at the systems that we are part of where women and men's representation and their voices are um, not included. That's helpful. We'll take one more question as we close up this space and um, reminding you all that we will have a talk back space um, as we conclude here in our formal convocation space. If you want to come forward, um, our chaplain, Brian Martin Burkholder, will host that space for us to continue in conversation and questions. So we'll take one more question. Um, mine's not really a question, but I just want to say thank you. Um, I've had the great honor of meeting and holding a space for people to talk about racial and cultural identity on campus this year. Um, and one of the things that has come out of that conversation is how do I hold, yes, I'm a woman, but I'm also a woman of color. And how does that affect my identity and space in society? So I appreciate you bringing that up and acknowledging it in your curriculum and how it's something that we need to hold as we go forward into these spaces and not have to compromise one or the other. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Hannah. Um, if there are folks who want to be in conversation with you about the space that you're creating, can they, how do they reach out to you? Um, uh, so you can, I have a really long, complicated last name, so I don't think that's going to be the, the most helpful thing. Um, but currently, we are not meeting this week, but going forward, we usually meet Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. in the conference center in front of the student life suite. So if that's something that you are wanting to engage in, um, right now it's a lot of women who are coming in and holding the space of how do we address our racial and cultural identities on EMU's campus. Um, but also for my example is I'm a woman in STEM and how does that affect my career going forward? Um, so if you're someone who just wants to engage in those conversations, we'd love to have your voice represented as well. Perfect. Or email me if y'all have questions. Thank you all for the space of um, bringing ourselves, bringing our, our questions, our, um, our responses. Um, I want to invite Marciella forward just to give us a few announcements for this week. Thank you so much, Sue. Can we give another round of applause for... <laughs> we appreciate your wisdom and your presence with us this morning.
Great. Um, so there are a lot of events this week. Um, first, let's. I think today is probably one of the most important ones, um, just because there's a lot today, and the rest you could look at um, later. So today, yesterday's baseball game was moved to today, and there's going to be pie from CAC to celebrate Pie Day. So come out for that. And then at 4 p.m., there is a university colloquium with Dr. Daniel King. Um, at the same time, there's a lacrosse game, but also CAC is providing Benny's Pizza, so if you want to come out for that, or the colloquium. Um, badminton and climbing walls at 8.30 p.m., and then there's Hymn Sing tonight at 9.30 in Martin Chapel. And then just, I'm going to highlight some of the other things for this week. Thursday at 5.30, there is um, interfaith dinner conversations in the South Dining Room. Um, free meal tickets for anyone who needs them. And um, it's a time to share stories about spirituality and faith that um, you see around campus and in probably your own um, faith also. Uh, Sunday, celebration is in the old common grounds, so you can join us um, as we try to living up the space of the old common grounds. Um, there's gonna be some refreshments and things like that, so come up for that. Monday, there's women in leadership panel at 6.30 in the student union, which is the new common ground space. Uh, Tuesday, there's a women in STEM day panel lecture at 6.30 in um, SSE 106. Uh, and then, let's see, next Wednesday is campus worship. Um, about symbolic sand art in Martin Chapel, or you could go to the other breakout groups, which are all worth two convo points. So yeah, there's a lot of events this week, so be sure to check out the calendar or um, be on the lookout for the Royal Radar Group Me as you find more information. Yeah. Make sure to scan out and dismissed. <laughs>